Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. Today's reading comes from the Gospel of Luke. It's a long one, so you might want to sit down. I think you know this story, though. It's the parable of the prodigal and his brother, and Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now the elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house and heard music and dancing, He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and he's been found. So it happens all the time when I'm leading a Bible study or sometimes just in conversation. The term, this term that Lutherans love to use and it's so important to us, unconditional grace. Unconditional grace. It's such an important term for us to understand, yet every time I lead a Bible study and we talk about it, we like to insert our big butts. 
But what about you have to say or do or think or feel this? But, but certainly you have to at least believe that, but certainly you have to at least go to church or certainly you have to at least call yourself a Christian. But, 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 and it's hard for us to not do that. We, but it's, the term is unconditional grace, which my understanding of unconditional is it's not conditional, Right? unconditional grace. So I want to rock your world today. Is this okay? Is this okay? Okay, if not, there's coffee out there. I'll be done in about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Um, but I, I was, one of my favorite books, I've talked about this before, is an author named Robert Farrar Capon, Parables of Grace. He write, wrote, it's part of a, a trilogy, Parables of Grace, Parables of Judgment, and Parables of the Kingdom. And he did, does a, a take on the prodigal son that we just read that blew my mind, and so I'm gonna hopefully blow your mind with it, and if you disagree with it, it's not my fault, it's his. Um, but, but he talks about the prodigal son and the fact that we have to see that in this story there are three deaths that occur. Three deaths. So see if you can follow along with who dies where and find all three of them. So the first one, I'll give it away right away. Happens two verses in. The son comes to his father and says, Dad, give me my inheritance now. In Jesus' day, kind of like it would be today, that's basically like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. It's insulting. And it would have been doubly insulting in the day of Jesus because the younger son gets a smaller portion, the older son gets a larger portion and usually would take over the farm. This is how it kind of worked. So the younger son comes to the father, says, Dad, I wish you were dead, give me my money. And the father does it, which would have meant that he, he is consenting to the younger son's demand. He's basically offering up his own life for the sake of his younger son. He would have then given the, uh, the farm to the older son, basically putting himself out of business. So metaphorically or almost even literally, the father has basically died to his life. First death. So then we see the younger son then, it says that he went and he squandered his money in dissolute living, which leaves it up to our imagination. So if we were to put it in our terms, he blew some of it at Hollywood Casino. He then came back to town, went to the Dolphin Lounge, bought everyone around, and then went to the dollhouse, where the rest of it is now gone. And so he realizes at some point in the story, you just picture him sitting with the pigs, working at this pig farm, which for a Jew is worse than dead. He realizes his life that he, as he knew it because of his own uh, interactions with his father, how he's blown everything. He has basically died to his old way of living, second death. So he's sitting there with the pigs, and he's trying to figure out he's got nothing left of his life. And he puts together this confession. Father, I have sinned against heaven 
and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he's sitting there, you picture, he's like, I know what I'll do. I'll go back, all these people at my father's uh, farm, they're, they're, they're eating, the servants are eating better than I am. I, I would eat some of these pig pods. But instead, he, he, he comes up with this plan. I will go home, I will say these words to my father, and then, then maybe he'll keep me on just as one of his hired hands. So you see what he's doing here? He's still this last part of it. Treat me like one of your hired hands. He's making a transaction. He's staying in the, the market of bookkeeping. He's like, aha, I know. If I just go back and I say to my father, treat me like at least then maybe I'll eat. So he's still, it's important to see that, still in this bookkeeping mindset, a transaction can take place here. Just treat me like one of your hired hands. So then he makes the journey back and here's where it becomes a great Hollywood movie because the son from a distance is just, I picture just entering the village and the father seeing him from afar overcome with joy, lifts up his, his skirts, which is humbling in those days, and runs to his son, embracing him. They collapse on the ground as father hugs his neck, kisses him, and is celebrating. You picture the father with tears running down his cheeks, and then the son musters up the, the courage to say that line that he'd rehearsed, and it says this, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Hold on. Something's missing. What is it? The last part. He doesn't say the last part. The whole reason he went home. Treat me like one of your hired servants. The transaction is gone. The bookkeeping part is gone. It's all about the father's love and grace for the son. It has nothing to do with what the son just did. His confession is worthless. The confession is worthless. It's all about the father's grace that this takes place. Huh. So then the father just moves right on. I mean, father didn't even let him utter the rest of his speech. The father just moves on. And I'm picturing that this father is an Ohio bobcat. Because the very next word out of his mouth, party! Party! It's a celebration! We, we are both, we both died to our old lives and now we're here together. So we're gonna, we're gonna, oh wait a minute. How many deaths did I say? Three. So who, who dies next? The fatted calf. The fatted calf. The fatted calf has to die so the party can exist. The slaughtered lamb who existed from the beginning of time, who exists throughout all eternity, the, 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 the sacred meal of the slaughtered lamb. The fatted calf is the third death so that the party can exist. Robert Farrar Capon, 
says this in his book, creation is not ultimately about religion or spirituality or morality or reconciliation or any other solemn subject. It's about God having a good time and wanting to share it. I love that quote. Or this, he goes on to say another one here. If ever once we woke up to the fact that God finally cares only about the party and then the solemn subjects would creep away like pussycats, thank God I thought they'd never leave. I love that. For Jesus, it's all about the party. Your confession, according to Jesus, is not how you get your forgiveness. Confession, according to Jesus in this parable, has nothing to do with forgiveness. And yet, sometimes in our world, we still think it does. I mean, even in church, because we have our confession time. And I, here's what I picture. I picture that sometimes we view confession as we go throughout the week, we do some bad stuff, we get heavier and heavier, then we come to church, we ask for forgiveness, and we're like, woo, woo, but then Monday comes. Right? And we kind of view it like this, like, oh, I have to, get, I have to confess my sin, and then, then I get forgiven. But according to Jesus, that's, that's not how it works. So why do we do confession? It's a good question. Thank you for asking. Why do we do it? To wake ourselves up to what's already true. We are forgiven. And we haven't done anything to make ourselves more forgivable, no matter how hard we try. It has nothing to do with making ourselves look more forgivable. Do you know the sole reason we are forgiven? Because there is a forgiver. The sole reason we are forgiven, before we did the mistake, during the mistake, and after the mistake, is because there is a forgiver. That's it, according to Jesus. So the story doesn't end there, though, does it, with the party? Party's going on, loud music, but now solemn music comes. Dun, 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 dun. In comes the director of morality and ethics theology. In comes the faculty for the school of religion or the dean of the law school, the older brother. The older brother comes onto the scene and he's ticked and he's waving his big butts. And he says, what is all this expense? I was saving the fatted calf to celebrate our turnip produce. Why have we now killed the fatted? And the, the servant tells him, well, your, your brother's home and there's a party. The father's celebrating. And the older brother keeps saying, but, but it's my farm. But it's, I'm the one who deserved, but I. And it goes on and on with all of his butts and refuses to give up the bookkeeping. Now, I'm going to guess most of us have been there. We've played that role. I know I have. We've played that role where, where it's hard for us to, to view unconditional grace given to that person or these types of person. Or, or even worse, sometimes we say, I certainly don't deserve it. I, there has to be a but. 
about the unconditional grace that's been offered to me. So let me close with this. Maybe the only thing that we need to hear today from this story, this great story of Jesus, is to stop with your butts. Stop with your butts and know this. You are forgiven. You always have been and always will be. And so is the person next to you and so is everyone else in this space or anywhere you go. And what does it look like to live with that understanding that we are forgiven solely because there is a forgiver? So join the party. Amen.